Thank you for listening to this audio message from Christ Fellowship Leesville. We exist to make disciples for the glory of Jesus. We pray God uses this message to help you grow in your walk with Christ. To learn more about Christ Fellowship, please visit us online at ChristFellowshipNC.org. If you'd like to grab your copy of God's Word, and I hope you have one, and turn back with me and meet me in Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. We're going to fly a bit over Philippians chapter 1, and then we'll be spending most of our time in Philippians chapter 2. As you find your way there, uh, let me thank you again, and thank Jonathan especially for your hospitality in having me. Uh, I hope you can understand my English accent, be relieved it's not a Scottish accent, and be relieved in particular it's not a hoik accent. Uh, even Scottish people don't understand hoik people, they call it tiri talk, and they say hoik's the only place in the world where you spell Egypt, I, jai, wai, pai, tai, because all of the vowels are wrong. Before we come to the sacred word of God, let me pray for us briefly. Father, our prayer is from Psalm 16, verse 11, that you would make known to us this morning through your word the path of life. Teach this church, teach me, I pray, as we look at the book of Philippians, the path of gospel life and gospel living. For we pray it in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm assuming it's common here, it's certainly common in uh, my Christian circles back home, to hear lots of conversations about just how dark the culture is becoming. Uh, Social decline and breakdown, family breakdown, drugs and alcohol, redefinition of marriage and even of gender. Uh, It is common for us to talk together, isn't it, about how crooked and perverted things seem to be in our world. Now, it's not wrong for us as Christians to voice our concern about the apparently deepening darkness that is out there. It's very good for us as a church, I think, to be aware of what's going on in our culture and to be cautious of how it might influence us within the church. But God's intention for his people, the church, isn't simply for us to talk about the twistedness of our times. It's not just for us to comment on the crookedness of our culture. Nor is it God's plan for us to shy away and be scared and separate from the dark that is out there, hiding ourselves from it. God's divine plan for his precious church in this world, yes, this crooked world, is the same plan a small child has for a lamp in a dark room that seems daunting. It is for us to shine. We are not merely meant to be commentators, critics of our culture. We are to live in contrast with the surrounding darkness whilst we are right in the middle of the surrounding darkness. God's plan for us, as we'll see in Philippians 2 this morning, is for us to shine like stars. You will have noticed this morning, stars do not shine in the bright sky of day. They glow amid the dark sky of the night. That is a picture of what the church should, must be like. Good news is this, our God has always been in the business of shining light in the dark. In the beginning, darkness moved over the waters of the deep, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Into the darkness of our sin-stricken world, the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ has shone, and the darkness has not overcome him. 
In the same way in your own personal life, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, your own heart was darkened in sin, but this same God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now his plan is this, for the church to be the place where the light shines to the dark community. God is always doing something about the dark, and what he does is shine. And his plan now is for the church to shine, a group of formerly crooked sinners living in our own darkness and perversion, now citizens of heaven, people who belong to the Lord Jesus, who live new lives under the lordships of Jesus, shiny lives that contrast with your town or your times. That is why the apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. It was that they might shine. It's a church he loves, It's a church that loves him. They've been deeply involved in each other's stories. It's an example of what the Pillar Network is about. Instead of church-to-church partnership, it's church-to-apostle. But we don't have apostles anymore, so we do church-to-church always. It's a, a relationship that's struck between these two. And so Paul knows that this church, like your church, like my church, is a church in the dark. Philippi was a dark place, not that different to modern-day Scotland or North Carolina. And Paul makes very plain what he wants for this precious church, even in this prevailing darkness. Look with me again at 1 verse 27. It says, only, so that's saying there's just one thing for you to focus on here. One thing I want you to know, Christ Fellowship Leesville, or First Baptist Philippi, as we like to call it, As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. That is, Paul wants them to be living like citizens of heaven, even while they're citizens of Philippi. They are to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, worthy of the news of Jesus that has saved them, worthy of what Christ has done by being shiny, Christ-like citizens of heaven, that which Christ has made them. Now, you should be asking a question this morning. Tell me, Martin, what is a life worthy of the gospel that will shine in rally? What is this life? Well, Paul tells you. Look again at 127 and how he follows on. I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel, and here's what that looks like. This is what he wants to hear that they're like, that they are standing firm, end of 127, in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Two things I want you to know about this life worthy of the gospel this morning, and the first we've just read is that to live in a manner worthy of the gospel is to live in gospel community, in with the family and fellowship of God's people. Do you see all those oneness words? United in one family, one mindset, one spirit, standing together on and for the gospel. We're going to flesh out a little bit later on what gospel community looks like, but what God intends for us to do in a manner worthy of Jesus is live in gospel community that shines where we are. Second thing I want you to know is a life worthy of the gospel. Paul picks up. Look with me, 128. They're contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Not being frightened. Two things about a life worthy of the gospel. One, it's a life of gospel community. 
Two, it is a life of gospel courage, of bravery. The truth about darkness is it's never been a big fan of light. There is a darkness in your culture, in my culture, that does not want the light to shine. There is pressing danger and threat. There is, verse 28 and 29, suffering and struggle for the sake of being gospel people, gospel community. And so you're going to need gospel courage. If your culture is where it is and is going where my culture is, you will need gospel courage as a gospel community. Those two things, of course, are hand in hand. Now, Paul says, as I'm sure is true of you, that you've already begun to live in that life worthy of the gospel. I'm sure you are a church of gospel community and of real gospel courage. He says that they're the kind of people, 1 verse 7, who have pillar networked, have partnered with him in the ministry of the gospel. And now he says, as you have done already in my absence, 127, do so more uh, in my presence, do so more now in my absence. I want you to continue to be a community that stands together on Jesus and serves together like Jesus. Continue on in the gospel. I want to know if I visit you or if I don't, if I come back to North Carolina for the rest of my life or if I never do, that you are standing firm and standing together. Gospel community and gospel courage. I want to hear that you're shining. Now, Paul, in this letter, gives himself as an example, not because he's arrogant, but because he's a man of gospel community and gospel courage. That's what he's praying for himself. One verse 20 that Jonathan read for us. I want to be the kind of person that has courage, not ashamed, contending for Christ in life and in death. Now he says to them, be these kind of brothers and sisters. Paul's quite a good example, isn't he, of gospel courage. 1 verses 12 and 13 and 14. Gospel courage that says, I'm in the darkness of a prison cell, so let me shine. Let me tell the gospel to all my fellow inmates, even my imprisoners. The gospel shines there. Oh, there is lots in this letter about gospel courage. Paul reminds us in this letter, being a bright shining gospel community is hard. It is costly. There is opposition. But goodness me, it is worth it. It is worth it because as we are that shiny community, light makes it to new people and they get saved. It is worth it because one day we'll be with Christ in heaven. It is worth it because one day Christ will return and we'll be raised with him to receive a reward for faithfulness in this present moment. Above all, Paul says, it is worth it Because as you live as a gospel community in gospel courage, do you know what you get? You get to know Christ. That famous section in chapter three, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, I would do everything, everything that requires every little bit of gospel courage I could ever muster to gain Christ Jesus. Oh, there's probably about five sermons in this book about gospel courage but you've not flown me all this way on bothering listening to my silly accent this morning to hear about gospel courage. I want to focus with you, dear brothers and sisters, this morning, not on the gospel courage to shine, but on being together a gospel community that shines. And that's what Paul gets stuck into in chapter two. 
How can a church, even as he's mentioned in 1 verse 27, live together, be of one spirit, one accord? How can we be in these close-knit relationships? How can we do church in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ Jesus? How can Christ Church Leesville shine to North Raleigh? You ever asked that question? Well, here, here it is. Here's Paul fleshing out what it is to be a gospel community worthy of the gospel. Look with me at chapter two, verses one to four. Here is his exhortation to be a gospel community. Two, one. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affliction and mercy, the answer to those questions is, yes, there is loads. Well, verse two, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in the same Spirit, intent on the one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. That is the best encouragement of how to be a shiny church you could ever read. Here is the exhortation to be gospel community, and two things stick out, don't they? It is a place of unity and a place of humility. If you don't like rhyming and you prefer alliteration, you could say it's a place of harmony and of humility. Harmony, unity, they're, they're one, they agree, they're in one spirit, one love, one purpose in the gospel. Humility meaning that stuff from verse three and four, that they lower themselves, they make themselves little to lift up their other brothers and sisters. They serve one another humbly. That is a gospel community. That is what we are striving to be in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now to help us see what gospel unity and humility looks like and to motivate it in our hearts, Paul then gives us the ultimate example of the attitude of humility that if adopted by you will make you the best church in North Carolina. He points to the Lord Jesus. Now, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 are well-known verses that do tell us the story of the gospel. But Paul is telling us here the attitude of Christ as he did the gospel that you might imitate it in a manner worthy of the gospel. So listen to the, the attitude, the heartbeat of our Lord Jesus that we are being exhorted in verses one to four to follow that's given to us in five through 11. So come with me, Philippians 2, five. Adopt the same attitude, right? harmony and humility, of Christ Jesus. Listen to what our Savior was like. Imagine he was one of your church members. Existing in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled, there's that word, himself, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. 
For this very reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here is the ultimate example of the Christ-like humility you've just been exhorted to from verses one to four. This is what Jesus did, it is what Jesus was like. It's encouraging to be reminded, even as you're called to be like this, how God feels about such humility. What has God done with Jesus after his obedience, his sacrifice, his humility? He has exalted him, given the name above every name, the name like no other, because he is like no other. He is the servant king, made himself nothing for a load of nobodies like me and like you. Here is what is praiseworthy. Here is the gospel, and imitating it is what is worthy of the gospel. We begin then with this exhortation, verse one to four, then there's this example, verses five to 11, and then finally, after 15 minutes, we get to the verses you've been promised. 2 verse 12, but look, it begins with a therefore, and now having seen the basic call from 127, and seen the main call from 2, 1 to 4, and the example from 5 to 11, we're finally ready to hear verse 12. Read with me, therefore, my dear friends, hear the love, just as you have always obeyed. So now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. We're going to work through these verses very simply this morning. We'll see our part to play, God's power in us. Uh, they're all peas because we're Baptists, which is why you're all sat in the back rows, not the front. But I don't have three, I got five, sorry. So we've got our part, God's power, God's plan, Paul's passion, our partnership. That's where we're going this morning. But we'll just follow straight down the verses, and Lord willing, God will speak to us through his word. Let's start at the top then, verse 12. Here is Paul's plea, our part. If you want something to do as a result of this morning, you want some application points, here they are. Look with me at what is being asked of you by the God of heaven this morning. Verse 12 and verse 14. You are called to obey, you are called to work out your salvation, and you are called to not grumble or argue. And if you like, those three instructions are like beads that are strung together on the same bracelet. This is one thing he's calling for. It is to be a gospel community. It's hard for us to see that at first. I'm assuming your culture, like mine used to, likes to put Bible verses on fridge magnets 
or on calendars or I was in the mall yesterday and I saw John 3.16 on a pair of socks and thought, is one pair enough, you know? Uh, maybe you're a hipster and you might even consider having this verse tattooed on your personhood. The problem is that makes us take these verses alone. And so they think, we think that they apply to us alone. So we think work out your salvation means, Martin, live out the gospel. Now that's true and that's good and I jolly well should. But having worked, worked our way through Philippians a bit to get to this verse, and as we see it strung together with obey in verse 12, and don't grumble and argue in verse 14, it helps us to understand that this verse is about working out, living out the gospel, not individually, but as a community. I believe your language has some advantages to my own. American English has this stunning word, y'all meaning you all, you plural. In Scotland, we have a little bit of one, we say use. What are use lots saying? That's what Paul says here. He says, work out y'all salvation. Because this is for us to do together. You can't work out your salvation alone because our salvation results in a gospel community. Work out your salvation, of course, includes your own personal spiritual growth, but we are always and ever to be growing Together, work out your salvation means do gospel community well together. Live out what Christ has done with one another. Be a place of unity and humbleness, harmony and humility. Live this saved life. It is not solo, it is shared. That's what the obedience is about, isn't it? Verse 12 says, obey now in my absence. Well, who have we just seen obey in 2 verse 8? Christ. What did he obey? The call to be humble. What have we just heard a call to in 2 verses 1 to 4 that we should be obe- The call to be humble. The call to serve one another in our local church. We are called to obey by humbling ourselves for the good of each other. Just as Christ lowered himself from eternal existence with God to mortal life as a servant, that he might give his life as a ransom for us. That attitude of let me put myself down, that I might see you lifted up, is what we are being called to obey. It's what working out the gospel is. It's no surprise then with obedience being about gospel community, work out your salvation being about gospel community, that when Paul wants to tell us to be blameless people in verse 15, he's immediately thinking about being blameless together in verse 14. Notice the instruction. He says be blameless and he doesn't say be godly by yourself at home. He doesn't call us to personal piety here. Look at verse 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now, maybe you fall out with yourself sometimes, we've all been there, but largely that's an instruction to not be that church. (laughs) Be the church that gets along because that's exactly what the obedience, the work out your salvation, the Bible, it all means do gospel community well. Live in harmony with one another and humbly serve one another. Adopt the attitude of Christ. Now I know you're a church merger in so many ways you've lived out this passage and I have much to learn from you about what it looks like practically. I don't know the things that mar your church or could interfere with your church life in the next six months, 
But the point is this, we are to work at these things. It's not like you're a good church at this, so relax, work on something else. We are always to be working out our salvation in gospel community. We always need to fight internal selfishness. We always need to work on that attitude, don't we, that would manipulate somebody else in church to pursue your agenda. We always need to work, don't we, maybe perhaps especially in your culture, at a consumer attitude to church. No, we need to strive together to grow in a servant attitude to church. We are working out together, friends, the gospel of a man who laid himself down by laying ourselves down. That is what we do in our church families. Again, I I don't know you and I won't make any accusations. Where are the points of grumbling or arguing for you? In Philippi, two old ladies had fallen out. You can read about that in chapter four. And so work out your salvation means agree in the Lord. Friends, this means always, not that everybody in our church sees eye to eye on everything, but it means that we work hard to always get back on the same page together, the gospel page. We work at doing that. It takes effort. It is hard. You may need to sweat a little bit to be a shiny church. What are we doing then in terms of preferring the needs of others to our own? I'm I'm struck as we drive around, you have many more open churches than we do. And so I'm assuming that that lends itself to an attitude where you pick a church purely based on your personal preference where you tune in online at a time that suits you best. Friends, church is about showing up on time to serve everybody else best. That's what it is. Church is not a program to stream or a service provided to suit you. It is people that are served by you. It's what church family is. It's not a place where we come and puff ourselves up. You can serve in a way which is actually just about showing off, can't you? I'm brilliant at this, so let me serve your church by showing off my gifting. You can do that kind of thing, but understand, friends, this is not about making yourself look good in front of other people. It is about lowering yourself down for the good of other people. This is the attitude that's meant to shape every interaction. So think about it. After the service finishes, Am I going over to talk to that person so that my six agenda items might become their six agenda items? Friends, as a pastor, I am on the receiving end of that conversation often. Different to that, I'll be honest too. They've been on the giving out end of that conversation. I've gone to church thinking, I need to talk to X, Y, and Z person so that they come on side with what I want to be doing. I'm not thought, I want to talk to X, Y, and Z person because I love them. And let me find out how I can help and bless them this week. How can I make myself nothing for you, brother? In the same way, you might want to ask yourself, who do I want to spend time with from my church family? Is it the people who have the most to offer me, the most in common with me? Or is it people I might actually have something to offer? Do you like being invited round to people in your church who put on the best spread for game day? Or do you like to have people around who you can spread kindness to? These are real rubber meets the road questions from this kind of passage. Can I say at this point, I think it's important for us to understand that this extends throughout the whole week. Again, I know nothing of your church or your culture, but do you plan a week where your own personal to-do list gets done, your wants, your needs are met, your itches are scratched, your lazy boy occupied? 
You've got a, a shop that just sells chairs. It's incredible. Let me ask you though, is there time, energy, resource set aside in your week for somebody else in this room's checklist? Somebody else in this room's wants or needs? Are there backs in this room you could scratch without looking to get your back scratched in return? Is there time to be out of the lazy boy? Paul is saying, do your part here. This is right for us to do. Do you see how different this is to how we think? We, we think we need to be different to our culture uh, just in our bedrooms, right? They're all morally, filthy, sexually dirty, and we're these morally pure people that, that are clean in the bedroom. Paul is saying here, no, we need to be different from our culture in our living rooms, right? We need to be different in how we show hospitality, how we serve, how we use our hands and feet to love other people within the church family. That is where we're going to look different from a culture that is selfish and self-promoting and self-comforting and self-serving, that is where you're to shine. That is what your neighborhood will notice. Not just that you're those excellent, pure, moral Christians that don't do those big public bad things, but that you live radically differently to the prevailing culture that is dark. Paul is saying, do your part, and you'll be familiar with those words from the end of verse 12. Do it with fear and trembling. That is, as we walk this path, we do that with reverence, knowing how this path was laid down. This is the call to be like the Lord Jesus, who laid himself down. We do not approach serving each other in the church carelessly, occasionally. No, we work at it with fear and trembling. We are talking about being worthy here of the gospel of God. Anything less would be unworthy of the gospel of God. Friends, let me say what you know and what you've sung to me this morning, that what Christ did was an awesome thing. To be called to imitate it is an awesome privilege. The Lord Jesus heard in heaven the call to obey, the call to not argue and grumble. And you remember what Jesus has done? He's been obedient to the point of death. That means when the call from heaven said, go to earth and become a man that you might die a brutal death in the place of sinners, Jesus didn't grumble. He didn't say, wait a minute. I'm the son of God around here. That is beneath me. It was beneath him. It was beneath him. But he didn't argue. He didn't say, Father, you go. I have, verse 6, equality with you. Here's a better idea. Let's send the Spirit. No, no, no. Our Lord Jesus obeyed. He obeyed. There in the garden of tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. Not mine, but yours be done. That is what God exalts. He did nothing out of selfish ambition. That is, he made himself nothing for a load of nobodies. He became, in a sense, some dead body for this room of somebodies. That is what God exalts to the highest place. That is what God says is worthy of the name above every name. To imitate that is to be worthy of the gospel and even the praise of God when with him we meet face to face. We're to be worthy of the gospel in Christ-like humility and service. I don't know about you, but that seems like an incredibly big ask. <laughs> I am a snarly, sarcastic, 
Scottish Englishmen. You are, of course, nice, friendly, warm, loving Americans. But even for you, dear people, you probably know how selfish you can be, and you probably know how hard the brothers and sisters in this room can really be to love and serve. And you maybe have other stuff you want to do with your week. That is why we need to hear not just Paul's call to do our part, but Paul's reminder of God's power that the strength for selfless service is not found in any of us, praise God. Whilst you do have your part to play and you should give everything to doing it, there is a power at work in us for this work. Whilst we are called to work out our salvation, there is one who works in us the power of our salvation. Look with me at verse 13. You know this verse well, I hope. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Paul is saying, crack on with living out the gospel together and have every confidence as you crack on because... All the while, God will be at work in you to do it. God will do it. Us working out our salvation together is God working in us to his good pleasure. Now, you're meant to say, wait wait a minute, Martin. What you were saying is illogical. Are you telling me I need to adopt the attitude of Christ, or are you telling me God will work in me the will of Christ? Are you telling me I need to go over and serve that person this morning, Or are you telling me God will work in me to meet their needs through me this morning? The answer is yes. It's yes. Which is it? Yes. It is both. You do your part. God is doing his part. It is both at the same time. God does his work in us, which empowers our work that we are striving to do for him. So at the end of the day, we work really hard, and then we turn around and say, isn't it amazing what God did? That's just how it works in the Christian life. God doesn't simply then ask the impossible of your church. He works the impossible in your church. So as you look at a church that's serving its socks off, that's humble as pie towards one another, what are you seeing? The work of the divine. You are seeing the light of the gospel shine in these people as they serve one another. We labor in his power Paul says that kind of thing, doesn't he? I labor with all his strength that he works in me. What's happening, Paul? Are you working or is God? Yes, of course. Maybe you sing the song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. It is both and. The point is, as we try and be this kind of church family together, we don't just cross our fingers and say, man, let's hope we can all get along Let's hope we all find it in ourselves that we'll love and serve one another. No, we say God will do his work in his people as we try real hard. That's how it works. That's what Paul says back in 1 chapter 6. I know that the God who did all this work in you to begin with is the God who will see it through to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. When it comes to working out your salvation then, it is God's call to you, but at the same time it's God's work in you. We don't say, as some people say, let go and let God. We say, let's get on with it, and God will get it done. We're making our way towards the finish. Don't worry, friends. We've seen our part to play. We've seen God's power at work in us. And now we see that God has a purpose for us in this work. He works in us as we work out our salvation. Verse 13, according to his good purpose. 
so that as we are a vibrant gospel community, verse 15, so that we may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. It's a great thought, isn't it? One day that we'll get together around the family table of God, the Father will be there at the top of the table and the eternal Son will be there and we'll all be there as sons and daughters of the living God together. And let me tell you, on that day, it'll be very easy to love and serve one another because you'll be different <laughs> and I'll be different. I'll be likable and so it'll be a doddle to like me. Do you hear the call? Be like the children of God, the citizens of heaven, but now... Now, while it's hard, now, while you're not in heaven, now, while it contrasts with the world, because God wants to shine his gospel light through his gospel people. This is his plan for us. It's a strange kind of half quote of the Old Testament where the children of God Israel became the devious and crooked generation. Now he's saying, be the actual children of God who are different to the crooked generation around you, distinct, You guys know what goes on in the world. It's a place where power is abused, where wealth is hoarded, where promotion is what people pursue, where people are selfish and fighting and competitive and and vying for position. Oh, imagine a church where everybody's like Christ who made himself nothing for the sake of everybody else. It's not hard to see how that would be a bright, shining community that lives out the gospel it preaches out. There's some debate about what verse 16 means, whether it means that the key for us shining is that we hold on to the word and so shine, or that as we shine, we're meant to hold out the word. I don't think it makes really much difference. I think it's probably the former, that we hold on to the gospel of a Jesus who lowered himself, that we work it out as we lower ourselves, so that as we hold out the gospel, it makes sense to the people we're preaching it to. I wanna finish with this idea, though. There is a huge lesson for us here, friends, about the immense evangelistic spiritual power of a normal gospel community, of a normal gospel community. Don't know how this works here, but where where I stay, there's a lot of talk sometimes that for people out there to get saved, we need to have all of the best apologetic arguments. We need to be able, every Christian needs to be able to prove the veracity of Luke's gospel by referencing Old Testament. We think that way, don't we, friends? We need to have all the truth. Maybe in your culture there's an idea that for anyone in this community to get reached, you need to be the really impressive church that looks so relevant and and vibrant where everyone's got great teeth, which you all do already because you're American. (laughs) Friends, those things are good. They've got their place. There's nothing wrong with having good music and good light. There's nothing wrong with having good arguments for the truth about the Bible. But the thing that will be compelling to people, wherever they are, in Hoik or in Raleigh or wherever in the world, is a community of people that teaches the good news about a Jesus who laid himself down and shows the good news of that Jesus as they lay each other down. That's what's attractive to people. That is what actually preaches the gospel in power to people. So here's an evangelism strategy for reaching North Carolina. Just tell people to come and see you. Come meet us. Come see what we're like together. 
Isn't it bright when you come into a community of God's people when you've been out there? Goodness me, to be in a place where we love each other and serve each other and look after each other. That is a bright, shining thing, friends. Don't lose confidence in the power of being an ordinary gospel community. But here is what we need to do. We need to make sure they see it. It is no use us all loving each other perfectly within these four walls with the door shut. You may as well be Amish or in a monastery. They have great gospel communities in those places, don't they, friends? They love each other perfectly, but no one's allowed in to see it. We need to make sure we're doing Matthew 5, putting the lamp on a lampstand, being the city on a hill, not in the valley. So here's what you need to do. Invite your non-Christian friends and family to come and see your Christian friends and family. We're trying to use the language in our church of cross-pollination. You've got these two circles in your life, two arenas that you spend time in, and often they're very separate. Maybe you're busy with church stuff, so you never see non-Christian people, or maybe you love hanging out with your Christian brothers and sisters, and it's so encouraging, and you watch a game together, and you do the same kind of thing with your non-Christian friends, but it's always separate. Friends, they need to see it. They need to see the light shining in our loving community together. So you don't need to wait for a special service at Christmas to invite your friends and neighbors. Every Sunday, if you're loving each other in this church, the lights are on. The gospel is glowing in your Christ-like faces. It's working, have confidence. And at the same time as we say to our community, come and see us, we make sure we're going and showing them. We put ourselves, our community, in front of people. Do you think your neighbors don't notice how often church folk are coming in and out of your house? They're watching, friends. They're not blind. Do you think your community doesn't notice when an older lady from your church is in hospital and she has all these people that visit her that aren't her biological family? Of course they notice. That's the gospel in front of their eyes. So how's about the next time you're watching a game or having a meal with a couple of people from church. Just invite a couple of other people that aren't from church. Just cross the circles. Let them see. They'll see something different in how you talk to one another and love one another. And maybe at some point they'll come and see the bigger group and they'll see how different we are. And then we'll tell them why. Do you want to know why we're a group of people that lay ourselves down for each other? Because the God of heaven, the son of eternal majesty, made himself nothing. He died on a cross that we might be right with God forever. We do this for each other because he did it for us. Friend, if you come to him, he's done it for you. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it. Let me pray that you would live out gospel courage in your gospel community in a manner worthy of the gospel that will shine to your community. Let me pray for you briefly. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Pray for this church family. Thank you for its amazing story of coming to a place of gospel harmony, having been separate churches. Pray now, Father, that you would guard and protect their unity in Christ Jesus and that you would strengthen them in the imitation of Christ Jesus. Help each one in this church family to know what it is, to lay themselves down, to prefer the needs of others and to serve one another. And Father, would that life of Christ be so evident in this family that this wider community sees 
the glory of Christ in them and comes to bow the knee before him, before the day when every knee will bow. Do that in this church family, I pray, not for their glory, but for yours and for their good. For we ask it in Jesus. Amen. Amen.